and we're continuing our series in uh, Philippians and we're up to chapter 2 and verse 12. Uh, so if you want to grab a church Bible, they're the blue ones on the table, um, you, you can find it on page 1,179. I won't recap the previous 1,000 pages, we'll just go straight into uh, where we're up to. So we're reading Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them, among them like the stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Dan's going to come and speak to us uh, from that passage and just impart God's word to us. But before he does, let's just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. And I pray that you prepare our hearts now as Dan speaks to us. Lord, will you open our eyes that we might see you. Open our ears that we might hear you. Open our minds to understand. And open our hearts that we might receive you, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Simon. Um, right. It's been a real joy, hasn't it, to be looking through this Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, a, a letter of just great thanksgiving and joy, and um, that's why I've really enjoyed it. It's just lovely to to read a letter of Paul just saying, keep going, well done, keep going, keep your eyes on Christ. And so I pray that today um, we would do the same thing, that we would keep our eyes on Christ, that we would keep going and we would enjoy what the Lord has in store for us as his followers. Well, as many of you know, I used to be a teacher and uh, for about 17 years, and it was a real joy most of the time, but I, I also worked, I worked at a school in the city centre, I think I've mentioned it before, um, a school that um, started five schools in five years. There was a super head over all the schools, and he was really passionate about starting new schools in deprived areas, and I captured the vision. I thought it was great, and he was really big on family, really big on making sure that the community, the parents, the students, and the staff were united. 
Now, he was very good at doing the family thing with his family because he employed half of his family and ended up getting let go for that. But that's another story that I won't I'll use as another illustration at some point. But um, as you know, I told you last time, a couple of weeks ago, was that I wasn't allowed to do a Christian union in the school. But one thing they did say, oh, you're a Christian, you can do Christmas. You're in charge of Christmas, Dan. And so I was put in charge of community Christmas. Um, it was great. We had um, Every year I ran a Christmas market that was either on St. Paul's Square in Birmingham or uh, very close by where the school was. Now, the school was in this right in the centre of Birmingham in an office block, the old Seven Trent office block. If you know where the Science Museum used to be, it's just there. And it was a crazy place to have a school because next door to it was some amazing, like really posh and really um, important businesses, and they hated having a school there. So our children at the end of the school day would go and buy milk that was on offer from the co-op for some strange reason, and they'd have a milk fight. Then they would also maybe get some, if it was fireworks time of year, they would be firing fireworks up and down the main road into businesses and so forth. They did not like us. But the head was really keen, saying, Dan, we've got to try and make sure that we, we sort out, uh, we have a real community, united feel, that they really feel bought into what, what we're doing. Well, so during the Christmas market, we got each of the sta- all the staff had a stall, all the students, and some of the students had a stall, and some of the community had a stall. And then I came down to about to several hundred people there, and then there was the maths and the drama teacher absolutely kicking off at each other. Um, they were, um, they, they, I'd asked them to run a stall, and they'd fallen out over it or something, and in front of everybody, they were having this massive um, shouting match at each other, in front of the students, in front of the community, and everyone's mouths were like... We're doing so. I stood in between them, got them into a room, took them to a side, chatted to them for about half an hour to calm them down. But, but what had happened was unity had really been broken. That night, the rest of the night just pff, deflated and people left. And it's a bit of a silly story, but, but over the past couple of weeks, we, we've been thinking in a large part about unity as we've looked at these last couple of chapters of Philippians. And remember that we see in that if you keep your Bibles open, the key to unity. Is having a Christ-like, humble mindset. That's the key to unity. But that's hard at the best of times, isn't it? It's really hard to be united, but particularly when there's pressure. And as we know, the Philippians were facing oppression and hardship from the outside. It's the same pressure that Paul had faced. He says that you're facing the same pressure that I was facing. Stand firm. Strive together in unity. Work together got to stick together guys and you might remember that Paul reminded them to be different to be different from the world you see just as Philippi is a colony of Rome we are to live as an outpost of heaven in the midst of an enemy territory we are in enemy territory we are to dance a very different beat to that of the world everyone else bows their knee to Caesar who are we to bow our knees to First and foremost, to Jesus Christ. And so, Sam and Ruth, sorry, you might have to do some clicking for me, mate. Apologies. Um, and so, we're to bow our knees to Jesus. And unity in our community is really important. We talk about it a lot, don't we? But unity is crucial for us as a church. And so, in order to relate to one another, the kind of mindset and attitude that there must be is to live with the mindset of Christ Jesus. The mindset of Christ Jesus. The mindset that, that now if we believe in Jesus, we have received that and we are able to have the same mind as Christ. We're able to work towards, we're able to enjoy the unity that we have been given, Paul says in Ephesians. 
maintain the bond of peace, he says there. And, and, the re- and the way in which we have the mindset of Christ, if we have a look in the next slide, the mindset of Christ we see earlier in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, it says, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Don't look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of other people. You see, that the mark of our life together is for us to be humility. For us to be humility, it was exactly the mark of Jesus. He was humility personified. We are to be humility. It is not me first. For Jesus, it was not me first. It was always them first. It was always us first, wasn't it? We saw that last week. For those of you that are around for the Bible study we did last week, we saw that Jesus did not... Um, grasp at what was he was entitled to when he came to earth he didn't grasp at it he didn't say I'm, I'm the son of God treat me like that what he said was he emptied himself for us he let go of those things for us it was not me first it is them first is what Jesus says and that's what we're to imitate that's what we're to imitate. And yet we say, but doesn't that feel a little bit over the top? Putting other people first the whole time? Isn't that taking it a little bit too serious? I know I've had other Christians, even family members have said, what, what are you? You take it a little bit over the top, you guys do it oikos. You're a little bit too keynos, aren't you? Serving others all the time? Are you serious? What about doing what you want to do? Well, the big picture is that if we listen to the words of our culture that say, be careful, don't be too extreme. Don't take it too seriously. It's great that you've got beliefs. It's great that you've got those friends at church. It's great that you have a hobby to do on a Sunday. But if you're just going to do all that each time, all those things in the week and all those things on a weekend, you're just going to get crushed. You're going to get exhausted. You're going to get burnt out. But the Bible says, actually, no. The Bible says, the more you go the way of Christ, the more joy you will know. The more you give yourselves to Jesus and to others, the more joy you will know. And we've seen it already in the book of Philippians. If you read the book of Paul's letter to the Philippians, it is filled with joy, isn't it? Joy is used numerous times. You see, joy from Paul, he prays, um, he prays for them with joy in verse 4 of chapter 1. Um, his joy will be complete as they are united in chapter 2, verse 2. They will be his joy and his crown on the last day in chapter 4. But there's joy for them too. Look at uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 25. It's for their progress and their joy in the faith. Chapter 2, verse 29, they are to welcome Epaphroditus with great joy. Joy is oozing out of this. It's bursting with it. And so the pattern of the Bible is that selfishness and me first actually makes us less human. Whereas to live like Jesus, to humbly serve others, makes us more like the people we were created to be. Gives us joy. As we become the people we are meant to be. And God's working out that in us. And so if we look at um, verses 12 and 13 now, if we turn to verses 12 and 13, we see that this is being worked out. We see that this is being worked out. But there's, there's still this nagging thing at the back of our mind. Won't we burn out doing this? Being selfless and loving others. Won't we burn out? It's going to be tiring, isn't it? And, 
And just thinking about over the last 12 years of Oikos, there have been times where we have been tired and weary, aren't there? If we can honestly say, there have been times we've felt tired and maybe even a bit weary. But I find encouragement in these words today. I find encouragement in these words, and I pray they are for you as well. Because this, um, these, these two verses of 12 and 13 of chapter 2 give us three reasons why, why burnout is, is wrong and shouldn't happen. There are reasons why it doesn't happen, but, but there are three reasons here why, why, it shouldn't, why we shouldn't feel burnt out. Salvation worked out. Point one. Sam, if you don't, oh, brilliant. Um, salvation worked out. We see in verses 12 and 13, it says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. So there's three reasons that we have here why, why burnout we hope that burnout shouldn't happen. And firstly, it's not work for, it's work out. It's not work for, it's work out. Obviously, people that don't know the Lord's from outside the church might say to us, Christians just have to stay out of trouble, stay off the naughty step, stay in his good books. But Paul doesn't say that we have to work for our salvation. He says... We just work out our salvation. And that is a fundamental truth that we, I know that we know. We know that our salvation is secure. We know it's been won for us. But then do our lives reflect that? Do we live as if Jesus has done it all for us? Because sometimes we can think, if I just serve, 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 if I work, 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 if I try really hard, then he's going to let me into his family. Then I'll be good enough. But because of Jesus, if we trust in him, we're already in his family. And so we're just working out what it means to be part of his family. We're just living or walking it out what it means to be part of God's family. It's a joy, isn't it? It's what it means to be family. And And yet we so easily get burnt out because we still think we need to earn our salvation. We must do things. That could be that if you're anything like me, you say yes to everything. Maybe we need to learn to say no. Maybe we need to learn to say no to some things. Because sometimes we can get overwhelmed, can't we? And we can, things just fall apart and we, we say, Jesus, we come to Jesus for rest, but actually we end up more exhausted at times, don't we? We can feel exhausted. And yet what Paul means is we're to work out our salvation, is to simply live it out every minute every hour, every day. And that means being an other person first Christian, looking to the good of others first. That's what the Lord wants for us. He wants us to grow in that. Not not for him to love us more, but because we're already loved. In our society, it's so the opposite, isn't it? We have to do things to gain people's love. We have to do things to gain people's um, applaudits from them, but... We don't have to make him love us anymore because we're already loved. We're already loved. Maybe you need to hear that today. You are already loved no matter what. And Paul calls us to do that with fear and trembling. And that just simply means that because God is so awesome, powerful and majestic 
and so mighty. Our call to live like this is not an optional extra. It's not an optional extra. We're to live lives that, please, that are pleasing to God. And that is just every day, other-centered, other-person Christian living. Well, the second reason we shouldn't burn out is it's not about you, it's about us. I think sometimes we can, our knee-jerk reaction can be um, to read something like this, say, it's just about me, but actually Paul's letter is written in the context to, to the churches in Philippi. And, and, and so it means it's not about you, it's not about me, but it's about all of us. And I love this, and this is something we're really big on here at Oikos, isn't it? That we're, we're not a, um, it's not the few that serve the many, it's the many that are to serve all of us. We are to be a, a church, uh, sorry, a church is not a restaurant, but it's a family meal. We're all in this together, aren't we? We don't come here to consume and just to sit and say, oh, great, and sit here. But we're here to be here for one another, to care for one another. Some of the, mo- some of the best discipleship happens on a Sunday when we're here together, and people just are chatting with one another, caring for one another, loving one another, helping them get drinks, looking after each other's children. It is beautiful. Sitting with people that you've not met before. It's not just coming and sitting down and taking and going. Because we have got shared gifts. We're blessed that we're able to use this as a family and serve one another as we serve the Almighty Father. And this week, it has been a joy. The last few weeks... Well, gospel community has been an absolute joy. We love gospel community life. And it's been wonderful to see service of one another worked out over these last few weeks. And I know it happens everywhere, but I see my gospel community each and every week. But just the beauty of, of um, someone turning up and saying, I'll cook tonight and bring in a roast dinner over for everybody, knowing that Nicky was tired that week, and so someone did that. Then when Ed was in the hospital this week, um, some other people just jumped up and said, yeah, we'll host, we'll do this, we'll do that. It's just beautiful to see... People sacrificially loving on one another. It's stunning. And, that's, and we can do that. And we get to do that in our gospel community groups each and every single week. Here on a Sunday, it's beautiful to see different people each week welcoming, clearing up at the end, loving on one another. Other folk, um, looking to the needs of other people. So just to make us think, is there anybody that we know within our body maybe just on the, out, the periphery of our body that is in need, that is, in, that is struggling at the moment, that we can help bless, that we can help support, that we can help care for. Let's have a think of who we are able to bless this week to love and to care for. Well, thirdly, we see that the third reason why burnout is wrong is this fantastic verse in verse 13. Have a look at it with me. Chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. If you're anything like me, I can flip between a week 12, a verse 12 week, and then a verse 13 week. A verse 12 week might be my diary is busy, it's full. I'm wired, I'm twitching, it's late nights, early mornings, trying to make the most of every opportunity, busy, 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 and then suddenly I realise I've made it all about me. <coughs> and what I can do in my own strength, and I end up losing the joy. I forget that there's grace. And it's replaced with exhaustion. And then there's the flip side of things, verse 13. It's God to do it all, and I'm uber horizontal. It's chilled, oh, God will sort it, it doesn't matter. And I think that sometimes we can either go, 
one end or the other, can't we? All in or not at all. But really, it's in the middle, finding a balance. And we need to remember this, I think. Remember this, God will never ask you to do what he doesn't equip us for. Let me say that again. It's what struck me this week when I was preparing this. God will never ask you to do what he doesn't equip us for. Do we believe that? Because we are to lean on him. We are to lean on him. He will provide for us. He will enable us. He will never ask you to do what he doesn't equip you for. If there's nothing else that you remember from today, please take that with you. He will provide what we need for us to keep going. And so, remember, salvation being worked out means it's not work for, it's work out. It's, it's not about you, it's about all of us. We bear the weight together of serving one another. It's, it's not us in our own strength, but it is God in his strength. And we can make, um, praise him all the more for that. But secondly... Just click on the second point. This is, we see um, the word of life held out. Paul talks about the word of life held out. Have a look at that, please. We, we, we've seen already in this letter, what's Paul's greatest passion? It is the gospel being advanced. That's his greatest passion. Jesus' greatest passion and the gospel of Jesus getting out there to everybody. And so that's why he has joy-tinted glasses on. If you put glasses on, they're fil- he's just got like a, a joy filter that he has on when he puts his glasses on. Because he's in prison, he's suffering, he's, he's in hardship, and yet he's still overjoyed. He's still buzzing because the main thing is happening. The gospel is advancing. What a mindset to have. You look at verses 15 and 16, and so he says this, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You hold firmly to the word of life. Even in hardship, even though there's pressure on them, Paul wants them to shine brightly to the world around, to Philippi. And then we see, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And there's a couple of translations of this. It can be, hold out the word of life, or it can be, hold fast to the word of life. Hold out or hold fast. And I think it's both of these are true. The word is used as you might hold out food to somebody. So we hold on to the word of life. We hold it out to other people. As it filters into our heart and the gospel oozes out of us, it is then that we hold it out to other people. We hold fast to the gospel truth and we hold it out to others. And as we do that, we are to shine like stars, brightly like stars. You all know that stars are bright, don't you? And on two weeks ago, I remember... On Rookery Park, 6am, F3 Nation workout, George Gwynn making us do sit-ups on a freezing cold, wet, damp, concrete playground floor. Come on, faster, faster, faster. But then as you went down, you saw the stars in the sky. Now in Birmingham, you don't often see stars in the sky, do you? Not that often, you have to get out of the city. But 
It was, it was just for us, I think, that God did this. It was beautiful. And there's also this really bright star that we thought was a plane, but then we were, when it hadn't moved for 10 minutes, we thought that can't be a plane. And it must have been, a, we thought it must be a comet. I don't know if you get comets, but we, we named it Mandley's Comet anyway because I saw it first. But it was bright, it was so bright. It was brighter than all the other stars in the sky, and it was stunning. It was beautiful. So how do we shine like that? How do we as believers, and just how do we shine brightly like a star in the sky? What should we be doing to get this word of life out to other people so that we can shine brightly to the world? And so churches spend a lot of time thinking about how they're going to do that. Do we have a mission week? Do we hire out a hall? Do we wear flyers and hoodies? Do we get some camels to go down the high street and, and dress people up as the wise men? Could do that. I've heard of churches do that in the past. Sounds good. good. Um, you could get a coffee shop or a cafe, a calf, on the high street. And they are all brilliant things. And there's a place for them all. But, but look at what Paul says. How do we get the word out? How do we shine brightly? Verse 14 says this. In the next, uh, no, go back. Sorry, you're right. <laughs> um, do everything, do everything without grumbling. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I've been really, really humbled by this this week that people are only going to listen to our message when we live it out, aren't they? People are only going to listen to the good news of Jesus Christ as we hold out the word, of, um, the word of life out to them when we live it out ourselves. That's us in the everyday, in our offices, in our families, in our streets. But people are always watching us in the good or the bad. Christians particularly are watched with an extra uh, magnifying glass on us, isn't it? It can feel like that sometimes because the place is littered with people who have been put off Christianity, not by moral objections or necessarily by mental objections, but by Christians. I hear it all the time, and many of you, do any of you know DC Talk? Anyone, Americans? I thought, Kenny, you might know this. 1980s, 1990s, Christian rap and rock trio. Anyone listen to DC Talk? Toby Mac? Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. I recommend them. They're great. They're great, aren't they? They're great. But in one of their songs, they quote an American writer called Brennan Manning, who says this. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and yet walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Christians who say they are, but their lives say they aren't. Man, that's heavy, isn't it? And if you look at verse 15, the, the story that is in the backdrop of Paul's mind as he's, as he's doing this, he, he's basically quoting part of Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. There's a footnote in, some, in, footnote in some, some Bibles. And it says this, They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished and they are, crook, they are a crooked and twisted generation. So the backdrop is the people, the people of God are just about to come into the promised land and Moses has told them how to live. He's told them what they should do. That they are to keep the law, they're to be set apart, they're not to blend in. And yet we see their track record is terrible. They are grumblers and they are arguers, aren't they? And we looked at, um, we looked at Exodus over the last um, few months, didn't we, or a few months ago, and we saw that um, in, in chapter 12, um, they are rescued from Egypt by Moses. In chapter 14, God parts the Red Sea. In, and also at the end of that chapter, Moses and Miriam have a song to God that is beautiful and praising him. And then what happens in chapter 15? 
There's no water, so they grumble. There's no food, so they grumble. In chapter 17, there's no water, so they grumble. And then they say, send me back to Egypt so I can have some vegetables again. They don't remember what they've been rescued from. They didn't remember their slavery and their pain. They cry out to God in their distress and he comes and listens to them and saves them. But at the heart of their grumbling, at the heart of all our grumbling, whenever we grumble, is a dissatisfaction with God. You have not provided for me how I thought you would. You've not done what I wanted you to, God. And now I'm grumbling. Man, even this past week, how often have I grumbled? But then at the same time, we look at Philippians 2, 5 to 11, don't we? That amazing hymn. And we say, look how amazing Jesus is, everybody. Isn't he wonderful? Let me tell you about the gospel, how Jesus emptied himself for you. And then our friends quite rightly say to us, but you grumble and complain all the time, Dan. You don't seem that different than anyone else. You moan about your job. You, no, I don't now. I love my job. Um, you moan about your, no. Um, you moan about your colleagues, your prospects, your spouse, your church. What? Do you really believe it? They are so perceptive, aren't they, friends? They're so perceptive at times. Paul wants the world to know that that in Christ we have more than we know what to do with. We've been given every spiritual blessing. Paul says in Ephesians. And yet, if we're living like we belong to Caesar. We're just living like everybody else. Are people ever going to take Christianity seriously? And so big events, coffee shops, cafes, flyering, all those things have a place. But I think it's in the little things. It's in the small things that we shine like stars, that people see each and every single day. It's every nook and cranny of our life as people examine our lives and they see that we are different. John Wesley, the theologian and preacher, said this, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians in England. I mean, his mum was pretty, pretty impressive, but isn't that striking? Our children are watching us. And it's not just parents. Our children here are watching each of us, all of us. It's quite a scary thought that more is caught than taught. More than we can ever imagine is caught than taught. And then, think about our culture. It's quite a grumbly, complaining culture, isn't it? I did this challenge this week. There was a challenge on the radio station that said, um, Christian radio station that said, um, make a list of all the times that you grumble in a day. Make a list of all the times you hear other people grumble in a day. So I thought, well, I can do this. I'm good. I won't complain. And it ended up being like when it comes to Lent and I give up chocolate, I last about 10 minutes. <coughs> After 10 minutes, I was moaning or complaining about something. And then when I was in the cafe the other day, I was um, just listening in to people's conversations, not the staff. The staff were wonderful, never grumble. Um, but most of the conversations, there was a grumble somewhere going on. It just seems to be the natural thing that comes out of us. Just one of the f- funniest, funniest things. There's a, there's a... I will share this. There's a... Um, there's a a gentleman that comes in, and I didn't realise this, I don't know him very well, but he comes in and orders something every day. But every day there's a problem with what, what's, what, what he's made. And I didn't realise this, but I know the other day that there was a, a bacon sandwich with tomato. And then it came back saying, but I want the, 
I wanted the tomato on the bottom, not on the top of the sandwich. And so a comment from, what, a comment from the member of staff, very loving, I won't name names, was, could you not just turn your sandwich over? I thought that was absolutely genius. But, but, but we, are, we, are, we are, seem to be a nation of finding our, our culture of complaining and finding faults with things. I know it's in my heart. But remember, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much. We have been brought out of slavery. We're no different than Egypt. Sorry, we're no different than Israel, are we? When we don't get what we want, our own way, we are very quick to complain. Maybe can I encourage you this week, if you're quick to complain like me, maybe jot down those complaints and say, thank you, God, for something else. Have a listen in to those around you. How can we be different How can we be different and not complainers and shine like stars wherever God has us? Because if they live like that, if the Philippians are to live like that, if their lives would be turned, flipped on their heads with that kind of everyday living, look at this, what what Paul says in the second part of verse 16. He says, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ. I did not run or labor in vain. Verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. On that day when Jesus Christ is risen and glorified, when he comes back again, when all of creation will acknowledge that he is Lord and Saviour, when every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, Paul is there, I'm proud, saying I'm proud. In the right sense of the word, he's boasting that he didn't labor. His life wasn't wasted. He didn't labor in vain. Maybe we think, well, this is all about humility, not being prideful. But, but Paul's saying, look, remember who's working in you. It's him. He can't boast in himself. He's boasting in the work that God has done. Remember, it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. You see, even though Paul's in lockdown and stuck in prison... Even though it doesn't look ideal for him, he rejoices because God is still at work in the Philippians. He's got those joy-tinted glasses on again, isn't he? Not the complaining glasses. He's got his joy-tinted gospel glasses on. And just to finish with, the drink offering. What does all this mean? Paul's alluding to the sacrificial priestly language. He's saying that the Philippians are the main sacrifice to God. Their lives, their costly obedience, their sacrificial service to one another, their love and their joy is the main event. And so if Paul is being pulled out, he's like a little drink offering. He's just an added extra on top. The drink offering was the finishing touches to the main sacrifice. And Paul's just saying, look, I'm a little drop of wine on top of their main sacrifice. Their lives lived out well for Christ. And in that is what he rejoices in. His job is done and his joy is complete. I don't want us to labor in vain. No one does, do they? You don't want to labor in something that's not going to be fruitful. You don't want to labor in vain, do you? We, we want to work out our salvation, knowing that it's already been worked out for us. But we get to live in the family of God and, and live out a life that is wholly pleasing to him. That excites me and spurs me on so that we can too can shine brightly 
wherever we are, whether that's here on a Sunday, but especially on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when you couldn't be further away from a Sunday and having been together, you can, we can shine like stars by not grumbling, by remembering what he has done for us, enjoying what he has done for us, even in the midst of some of the most challenging circumstances that we may be facing at the moment or will face or will come our way. Um, then our job is done. Then our joy too will be complete. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, that you provide for us. You enable us to do what you have for us to do. And Lord, I confess at times I can go solo and try and do it in my own strength. Maybe there's others in here that feel the same. That we feel like we have to do a bit extra to earn a little bit more of your love. But the truth is, you could not love us anymore. There's nothing we can do that will make you love us any more or any less. And Father, I confess my heart at times can be one to quick to grumble and complain. Lord, please help us, help me as a church. There will be people that shine bright like stars and are not grumblers, Lord, that are not complainers, Lord, that, that we, we revel in the truth of what you have done for us. Remember where we've been. Remember where you have brought us. And Lord, as we await the ultimate promised land, Lord, let us be different than the crooked and wicked generation that we saw in Israel. Lord, let us be a generation of joyful people that celebrate and enjoy who we are, that we're part of your family. Let us work out our salvation in the here and now. Let us enjoy that. It's you that wills it for us. It's you that desires it for us. It's you that works in us to make it happen. Father, let us not labor in vain. Let us offer our lives as a living sacrifice poured out for you in the service of loving others with a Christ-like humility. Let us be humility. And Lord, we know there is grace that covers when we don't do that. There's a whole load of grace each and every day that we receive when we don't manage to do it. And we will fail but there's also much joy in us working with you, Lord, as you work in us to love others sacrificially with all our hearts. I pray that this week we would do that. We would look to other people's needs and see them as more significant than our own. Lord, we love you, Lord. Thank you for every spiritual blessing that we've received in Christ Jesus. and Let us dwell and enjoy that truth better than any physical blessing that we could receive. I pray this in your son's holy name. Amen.